Section 1 of The Rover. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Cairns, Naperville, Illinois. The Rover by Joseph Conrad. After entering at break of day the inner roadstead of the port of Toulon, exchanging several loud hails with one of the guardboats of the fleet which directed him where he was to take up his berth master gunner peril let go of the anchor of the sea-worn and battered ship in his charge between the arsenal and the town in full view of the principal quay the course of his life which in the opinion of any ordinary person might have been regarded as full of marvellous incidents only he himself had never marvelled at them had rendered him undemonstrative to such a degree that he did not even let out a sigh of relief at the rumble of the chain and yet it ended a most anxious six months of knocking about at sea with valuable merchandise in a damaged hull most of the time on short rations always on the lookout for english cruisers once or twice on the verge of a shipwreck and more than once on the verge of capture but as to that old perol had made up his mind from the first to blow up his valuable charge unemotionally for such was his character formed under the sun of the indian seas in lawless contest with his kind for a little loot that vanished as soon as grasped but mainly for bare life almost as precarious to hold through its ups and downs and which now had lasted fifty-eight years while his crew of half-starved scarecrows hard as nails and ravenous as so many wolves for the delights of the shore swarmed aloft to furl the sails nearly as thin and as patched as the grimy shirts on their backs peril took a survey of the quay groups were forming along its whole stretch to gaze at the new arrival perol noted particularly a good many men in red caps and said to himself here they are amongst the crews of ships that had brought the tricolor into the seas of the east there were hundreds of professing sans culottes principles boastful and declamatory beggars he had thought of them but now he was beholding the shore breed those who had made the revolution safe the real thing perol after taking a good long look went below into his cabin to make himself ready to go ashore he shaved his big cheeks with a real english razor looted years ago from an officer's cabin in an english east indiaman captured by a ship he was serving in then he put on a white shirt a short blue jacket with metal buttons and a high roll collar a pair of white trousers which he fastened with a red bandana handkerchief by the way of a belt with a black shiny low-crowned hat on his head he made a very creditable prize-master he beckoned from the poop to a boatman and got himself rowed to the quay by that time the crowd had grown to a large size peril's eyes ranged over it with no great apparent interest though it was a fact that he had never in all his man's life seen so many idle white people massed together to stare at a sailor he had been a rover of the outer seas he had grown into a stranger to his native country during the few minutes it took the boatman to row him to the steps he felt like a navigator about to land on a newly discovered shore on putting his foot on it he was mobbed the arrival of a prize made by a squadron of the republic in distant seas was not an everyday occurrence in toulon 
the wildest rumors had been already set flying perrault elbowed himself through the crowd somehow but it continued to move after him a voice cried out where do you come from citoyen from the other side of the world perrault boomed out he did not get rid of his followers till the doors of the port office there he reported himself to the proper officials as master of a prize taken off the cape by citoyen renard commander-in-chief of the republican squadron in the indian seas he had been ordered to make for dunkirk but said he having been chased by the sacre anglais three times in a fortnight between cape verde and cape spartel he had made up his mind to run into the mediterranean where he had understood from a danish brig he had met at sea there were no english men of war just then and here he was and there were his ship's papers and his own papers and everything in order he mentioned also that he was tired of rolling about the seas and that he longed for a period of repose on the shore but till all the legal business was settled he remained in toulon roaming about the streets at a deliberate gait enjoying general consideration as citizen parole and looking everybody coldly in the eye his reticence about his past was of that kind which starts a lot of mysterious stories about a man no doubt the maritime authorities of toulon had a less cloudy idea of parole's past though it need not necessarily have been more exact in the various offices connected with the sea where his duties took him the wretched scribes and even some of the chiefs looked very hard at him as he went in and out dressed very neatly and always with his cudgel which he used to leave outside the door of his private offices when called in for an interview with one or another of the gold-laced lot having however cut off his cue and got in touch with some prominent patriots of the jacobin type parole cared little for people's stares and whispers the person that came nearest to trying his composure was a certain naval captain with a patch over one eye and a very threadbare uniform coat who was doing some administrative work at the port office that officer looking up from some papers remarked brusquely as a matter of fact you have been the best part of your life skimming the seas if truth were known you must have been a deserter from the navy at one time whatever you may call yourself now there was not a quiver on the large cheeks of the gunner peril if there was anything of the sort it was in the time of kings and aristocrats he said steadily and now i have brought in a prize and a service letter from citizen renaud commanding in the indian seas i can also give you the names of good republicans in this town who know my sentiments nobody can say i was ever anti-revolutionary in my life i knocked about the eastern seas for forty-five years that's true but let me observe that it was the seamen who stayed at home that let the english into the port of toulon he paused for a moment and then added when one thinks that citoyen commandant any little slips and i and my fellows of my kind may have made five thousand leagues from here and twenty years ago cannot have much importance in these times of equality and fraternity as to fraternity remarked the post-captain in the shabby coat the only one you are familiar with is the brotherhood of the coast i should say everybody in the indian ocean except milksops and youngsters had to be said the untroubled citizen peril and we practiced republican principles long before a republic was thought of for the brothers of the coast were all equal and elected their own chiefs 
They were an abominable lot of lawless ruffians, remarked the officer venomously, leaning back in his chair. You will not dare to deny that. Citizen Parole refused to take up a defensive attitude. He merely mentioned in a neutral tone that he had delivered his trust to the port office all right, and as to his character, he had a certificate of civism from his section. He was a patriot and entitled to his discharge. After being dismissed by a nod, he took up his cudgel outside the door and walked out of the building with the calmness of rectitude. His large face of the Roman type betrayed nothing to the wretched quill drivers who whispered on his passage. As he went along the seas, he looked as usual, everybody in the eye, but that very same evening he vanished from Toulon. It wasn't that he was afraid of anything. His mind was as calm as the natural set of his florid face. Nobody could know what his forty years or more of sea life had been, unless he told them himself, and of that he didn't mean to tell more than what he told the inquisitive captain with the patch over one eye. But he didn't want any bother for certain other reasons, and more than anything else, he didn't want to be sent perhaps to serve in the fleet now fitting out in Toulon. So, at dusk, he passed through the gates on the road to Frejoux, in a high two-wheeled cart, belonging to a well-known farmer whose habitation lay that way. His personal belongings were brought down and piled up on the tailboard of the cart by some ragamuffin patriots whom he engaged in the street for that purpose. The only indiscretion he committed was to pay them for their trouble with a large handful of assignats. From such a prosperous seaman, however, this generosity was not so very compromising. He himself got into the cart over the wheel, with such slow and ponderous movements, that the friendly farmer felt called upon to remark, Ah, we are not so young as we used to be, you and I. I have also an awkward wound, said Citizen Perrault, sitting down heavily. And so, from farmer's cart to farmer's cart, getting lifts all along, jogging in a cloud of dust between stone walls and through little villages well known to him from his boyhood days in a landscape of stony hills pale rocks and dusty green of olive trees citizen perrault went on unmolested till he got down clumsily in the yard of an inn on the outskirts of the town of uris the sun was setting to his right near a clump of dark pines with blood-red trunks in the sunset perrault perceived a ruddy track branching off in the direction of the sea at that spot citizen parole had made up his mind to leave the high road every feature of the country with the darkly wooded rises the barren flat expanse of stones and sombre bushes to his left appealed to him with a sort of strange familiarity because they had remained unchanged since the days of his boyhood the very cartwheel tracks scored deep into the stony ground had kept their physiognomy and far away like a blue thread there was the sea of the yuri's roadstead with a lumpy indigo swelling still beyond which was the island of porcoral he had an idea that he had been born on porcoral but he really did not know the notion of a father was absent from his mentality what he remembered of his parents was a tall lean brown woman in rags who was his mother but then they were working together at a farm, which was the mainland. He had fragmentary memories of her shaking down olives, picking stones out of a field, or handling a manure fork like a man, 
tireless and fierce with wisps of grayish hair flying about her bony face and of himself running barefooted in connection with a flock of turkeys with hardly any clothes on his back at night by the farmer's favor they were permitted to sleep in a sort of ruinous byre built of stones and with only half a roof on it lying side by side on some old straw on the ground and it was on a bundle of straw that his mother had tossed ill for two days and had died in the night in the darkness her silence her cold face had given him an awful scare he supposed they had buried her but he didn't know because he had rushed out terror-struck and never stopped till he got as far as a little place by the sea called almenar where he hid himself on board a tartan that was lying there on shore he found down there a heap of empty sacks which made a luxurious couch and being exhausted went to sleep like a stone some time during the night the crew came on board and the tartan sailed for marseilles that was another awful scare being hauled out by the scruff of the neck on the deck and being asked who the devil he was and what he was doing there only from that one he could not run away there was water all around him and the whole world including the coast not very far away wobbled in a most alarming manner three bearded men stood about him and he tried to explain to them that he had been working at perils peril was the farmer's name the boy didn't know that he had one of his own moreover he didn't know very well how to talk to people and they must have misunderstood him thus the name of peril stuck to him for life there the memories of his native country stopped overlaid by other memories with a multitude of impressions of endless oceans of the mozambique channel of arabs of madagascar of the coast of india of islands and channels and reefs of fights at sea rows on shore desperate slaughter and desperate thirst of all sorts of ships one after another merchant ships and frigates and privateers of reckless men and enormous sprees in the course of years he had learned to speak intelligibly and think connectedly and even to read and write after a fashion the name of the farmer peril attached to his person on account of his inability to give a clear account of himself acquired a sort of reputation both openly in the ports of the east and secretly amongst the brothers of the coast that strange fraternity with something masonic and not a little practical in its constitution round the cape of storms which is also the cape of good hope the words republic nation tyranny liberty equality and fraternity and the cult of the supreme being came floating on board ships from home new cries and new ideas which did not upset the slowly developing intelligence of the gunner peril they seemed the invention of landsmen of whom the seaman peril knew very little nothing so to speak now after nearly fifty years of lawful and lawless sea-life citizen peril at the yard-gate of the roadside inn looked at the late scene of his childhood he looked at it without any animosity but a little puzzled as to his bearings amongst the features of the land yes it must be somewhere in that direction he thought vaguely decidedly he would go no farther along the high road a few yards away the woman of the inn stood looking at him impressed by the good clothes the great shaven cheeks the well-to-do air of that seaman and suddenly perrault noticed her with her anxious brown face her gray locks and her rustic appearance she might have been his mother as he remembered her 
only she wasn't in rags. Eh, la mer, hailed Peril. He looked so prosperous and so authoritative that she piped without hesitation in a thin voice. Mais oui, citoyen, he will be here in a moment. In the dusk, the clump of pines across the road looked very black against the quiet, clear sky, and Citizen Perrault gazed at the scene of his young misery with the greatest possible placidity. Here he was nearly fifty years, and to look at things it seemed like yesterday. He felt for all this neither love nor resentment. He felt a little funny, as it were, and the funniest thing was the thought which crossed his mind that he could indulge his fancy, if he had a mind to it, to buy all this land to the furthermost field away over there where the track lost itself sinking into the flats bordering the sea where the small rise at the end of the jeans peninsula had assumed the appearance of a black cloud tell me my friend he said in a magisterial way to the farmhand with a tousled head of hair who was awaiting his good pleasure doesn't this track lead to almanar yes said the laborer and peril nodded the man continued mouthing his words slowly as if unused to speech to Almenar and further too, beyond the great pond, right out to the end of the land, to Cape Esterel. Parole was lending his big, flat, hairy ear. If I had stayed in this country, he thought, I would be talking like this fellow. And aloud he asked, Are there any houses there, at the end of the land? Why a hamlet, a hole, just a few houses round a church, and a farm, where at one time they would give you a glass of wine. End of section 1 Recording by John Cairns, Naperville, Illinois.